0: Thank you, Lynn, for that children's message. Um, Carmen actually texted me during the children's message and said to uh, thank you and the kids. um, And uh, she misses you guys and can't wait to be back next week. Um, She also reminded me that tomorrow's kind of a bittersweet day for me. Um, uh, Tomorrow, my last child is no longer an infant. Uh, The baby turns one. So um, bring on the teenage years. Yeah. um, So (laughs) it's going to get interesting in the Leonard household. Um, so before we get into the message, I wanted to take a moment, um, Sandra touched on it in the, in her prayer, um, uh, but I wanted to take a moment and, and just kind of touch on Memorial Day. Um, if there are any veterans in the building, uh, thank you. Um, I appreciate your service. Um, and as Sandra said, we, this is where we honor the people who went off to serve and didn't necessarily make it home. So, um, if you see a veteran, um, in the next you know, well, ever, but in the next 24, 48 hours, thank them for their service. And and I, I know that most, if not all veterans, know someone who didn't necessarily make it home. So this is this is an interesting day for a lot of veterans um, that, that did make it home. So um, please make sure you, you know, you extend your gratitude to, uh, towards them for that. Um, so we are in uh, Daniel chapter four today. Um, I'm going to be, hopefully not disjointedly, jumping back and forth between talking about it and reading it. So if you want to, uh, if you have your Bible on you, um, if you want to go ahead and turn there because we'll be going back and forth. Also, um, the last time I preached, I realized that given my size, there is about a four foot gap between the lapel mic and my head. So um, (laughs) until we figure out a better option, I'm going to be um, covering my beautiful face with a microphone. So um, we'll be preaching into that. Um, don't laugh, it's beautiful. Um, okay, so um, to set up Daniel 4, Daniel 4 is kind of a different chapter. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't use the word weird, but it's just, it, it varies from other chapters in the Bible. Um, really all other chapters in the Bible. And, and and that's okay. It's still scripture. It's still life-breathed, and we're going to jump into it anyways. The contents of Daniel 4 happens about 30 years ish, most people think, after the contents of Daniel chapter 3. So there's a huge gap in between Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel chapter 4 is actually written, it's by Daniel, but it's it's spoken to him from King Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually the only chapter in the Bible that is a first-person point of view of what the Bible would call a pagan, um, someone who is not Jewish in nature in the Old Testament. It's the only chapter in Scripture like that. Um, now, that's what my commentary said. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't check every chapter in the Bible, so we're going to go on what he said and call it good. Um, but this is different than, you know, most of the time you have a Jewish writer. You have someone who is speaking to the biblical readers, and, and so this differs a little bit. Also, because of that, because it's been 30 years, we'll, we'll find out in the chapter that Daniel still has the same position that he was that was given to him in the earlier chapters of Daniel uh, of Daniel three. So he has served as the chief of the magicians and, and diviners for thirty years. I don't know I, the history teacher is about to come out in me here for a second. I don't know if you know a lot about this time period. Holding the same position for thirty years is not an easy task in this time period, um, as we learned in in the last chapter. Kings will just randomly decide to put up a golden statue and throw people in the fire that don't bow down to it. I mean, this was a very turbulent time in history. And so for Daniel to be able to keep the same job for 30 years says a lot to not only his ability to listen to God and do the job that God had put before him, but also the ability to navigate living in a an unbelieving world as a believer. And I think that's... I've kind of broken this message down into some mini lessons, we'll put it that way. And mini lesson number one is learning to navigate in a, what we, what this, the Bible would call a pagan world in an unbelieving world while not compromising your principles. And we know Daniel did that because he's still alive. He's still here. He's still speaking into scripture. And so that's where it picks up. The other thing that's a little bit different about, and I know there's a lot of setup and I apologize, but it is kind of a different chapter the other thing is, this reads like an epistle, um, like a New Testament letter, like Paul's epistles to the Corinthians or the Colossians. It starts off with King Nebuchadnezzar to the people, nations, and men of every language who live all over the world. May you prosper greatly. All throughout Scripture, it doesn't. That doesn't read like that, and so you you get this sense that. Nebuchadnezzar has gotten a a life-changing moment and he wants to tell everybody about it um, now the Babylonian people at the time ruled the majority of the known world and so you'll hear a lot in of him talking about to all the people of the earth um, obviously their worldview of what the earth entailed was a little smaller than what we have now I mean you know we know the size and scope of the earth but the known world to them at the time was conquered basically by the Babylonians. And so you'll, you'll hear that theme a lot. And then the next portion is he jumps right into what we would call a doxology. He says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonder, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures for generations to generations. That's a big statement for a Babylonian king to make, because if you, and again, I tend to geek out on history stuff, so I realize not many people have read other writings of this time period, but they love to build themselves up. They love to build themselves up. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was known as the king of kings, um, he, you know, so they, they like to kind of strut their stuff in the Babylonian empire, and so for him to make a statement like that is a, that's a big way to start off the chapter. And so to kind of, I'm going to paraphrase while also reading some portions, so bear with me. Um, so to paraphrase, basically what happens is Nebuchadnezzar says he wakes up in the middle of the night terrified by a dream that he had. That seems to be a reoccurring thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He's got a lot, the, the, the boy has a lot of dreams, basically, um, and, and that, that happens quite a bit with Nebuchadnezzar, and he calls all the magicians together, and he says, interpret my dream. And once again, as a recurring theme in Daniel, they can't do it. I'm sure they, you know, they, they were able to tell that, that there was something bad that happened in the dream, but they weren't able to interpret it. And then Daniel shows up on the scene. And we're not real sure where Daniel was, um, more than likely. I mean, as big as the kingdom one, he was probably doing his, his duties elsewhere and got word that the king needed him. And so he comes And if you'll notice, there's a difference in this chapter from a past chapter. It says in in verse 9, and remember that um, Daniel's name in the Babylonian uh, kingdom is uh, Belteshazzar. It says, I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. by this point, Daniel has done his job so well that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't test him like he does in the past chapters. If you remember in in one of the past chapters, he says, I want you to interpret the dream for me. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do that in this one. He talks about how good of a job he's doing and then Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the, the dream. And so you see a shift in where Daniel's position is in this empire. The the king trusts him enough to say, okay, I already know that you know what you're talking about. I'm going to tell you what my dream was. So we're going to read the dream, and then we'll go from there. So if you've got your Bibles, if you will, uh, we're going to start with chapter, I'm sorry, we're uh, we're in chapter four. We're in the same chapter the whole morning. Um, We're going to start with verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. So, I mean, I'll be honest, if I had this dream, it would probably freak me out too. Um, But Nebuchadnezzar relays this dream to Daniel, and it says a few verses forward that Daniel is terrified. Now, here's where mini lesson number two pops in. Daniel is terrified because he knows the layout of the time period. He knows immediately, God gives him this interpretation, he knows immediately that this dream is about King Nebuchadnezzar losing his throne. And so he's worried about who the next king is going to be. Will it be? Will he be just as kind to the Jewish people? Now, I realize that throwing people into a fiery furnace doesn't seem like kindness, but there's a 30-year gap where we don't hear anything. So we can assume that Nebuchadnezzar changes his mindset towards the Jewish people and allows them to worship within the confines of the, um, the Babylonian empire. And so he's worried for a moment. He's terrified of the fact of what's going to happen to this King that he likes. And he's worried about who the next King is going to be. And so many lesson number two is the emotions that you have are, are good. Sadness, madness, uh, you know, being terrified of something. Those are not bad, um, emotions, but notice in the very next verse, Nebuchadnezzar says, it's okay, you can tell me what it it means, and Daniel leans in on God and tells him what the the, uh, dream means. And so, it's okay, remember the emotions are given to us by God, but we shouldn't dwell on those. And so Daniel doesn't dwell on them, he does what he's called to do, he does his job, and he gives the king the news of the dream, even if it's bad news. So basically what he says is that Nebuchadnezzar is the tree in this dream. This is the interpretation of Daniel. And so because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't put his trust in the fact that God has raised him up as a king, he believes he's the one who's done it all. That in, in our own vernacular, God is going to come in and give him you know, some humble pie, as we would say. Um, and so he's going to cut down the tree. He's going to make Nebuchadnezzar lose his throne, but he's going to leave the, the stump, meaning the tree will grow back. And so he's going to get his throne back once he am, admits that God is the sovereign king in charge of all. And then if you'll notice, Daniel gives him the chance to change his ways to, for it not to become true. Now, I find this interesting because I think In the Old Testament, this is actually an argument against the idea of predestination. The idea that God, at the beginning of time, chose which one of us is going to be saved and which ones aren't. He gives Nebuchadnezzar the chance. A pagan god, a god who is not Jewish, he gives him the chance to change his mind so that he doesn't get the wrath that's coming to him, the punishment that's coming to him. God ultimately gives us the ability to choose him. You know, as it says in, you know, John 3, 16, you know, God loved the whole world that whoever believes in him, the same sort of thing here, he gives Nebuchadnezzar the chance to say, okay, change your ways and this doesn't have to happen. It's not a foregone conclusion, this is going to happen to you. But on the other side of it, God also created us. He knows our tendencies. And so he puts something in front of Nebuchadnezzar that he knows Nebuchadnezzar isn't necessarily going to change, not because he chose for him not to change, but because he knows the tendencies of Nebuchadnezzar. He created him. He, he knows every single hair on Nebuchadnezzar's body. And so he knows Nebuchadnezzar is not going to, that's a fun word to say over and over. Um, he knows Nebuchadnezzar is not going to change his ways. And he gives him a year. If you'll notice in a a few verses later, a year later, it says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? So a year later, Nebuchadnezzar just takes this dream and goes, you know, whatever, and just kind of goes on with his business. And puffs up on top. You know, a lot of people think he may have been standing on the infamous uh, garden of the hanging gardens of Babylon. Um, Looking out over his kingdom, there's peace in the land. He's content. And he was like, look at all that I've built. And immediately he is inflicted with this um, illness. Here's where the sermon gets weird. (laughs) Um, Basically, Nebuchadnezzar starts to believe that he is an animal. Now, there's actually a medical condition that most theologians believe that he suffered from that God used to inflict Nebuchadnezzar, and this is known as lycanthropy. Now, before you jump down the werewolf path, it is not just werewolves. Um, I feel the need to say that. When Kendall and I were talking about this and he mentioned lycanthropy, I went, oh, this is gonna be such a hard one to teach, preach. Um, I looked it up. Lycanthropy is just the belief that you are an animal. It's, our, our pop culture has taken it and kind of twisted it to where it's only about werewolves. And that's not actually the fact. I told you it was gonna get weird. Um, it's the mental condition that you believe that you are an animal. And there are apparently documented cases all throughout modern history as late as the 20th century of people believing in their minds that they are one animal or the other. And it ranges in severity. There are people that have held completely normal lives outside of their house, jobs, friends, and when they get home, they think they're a cat and their house is set up to as if they're a cat. Well, I know this was a fun one to, to research. Can I just tell you right now, I had a lot of fun jumping down some rabbit holes this week. But there's actually a case in the 20th century of someone who exhibited the exact same symptoms as King Nebuchadnezzar. At the hospital that he was at, he wandered around the yard of the the hospital as if he was a cow eating grass. And he actually, his fingernails grew so coarse that it was almost like hooves. And his hair, because he never washed it, looked kind of like dreads, kind of like you know, feathers almost real coarse. And so you get this scientific explanation of this illness, which is what I love is when there's quote unquote science to back it up. Because that's the thing is all of this was created by God. And if you don't think God can't marry the science with his own power, you know, you got another thing coming. And that's what I love about this is that God takes this Thing that has created this this illness and inflicts Nebuchadnezzar on it uh, on inflicts it upon Nebuchadnezzar, and so Nebuchadnezzar is driven out. Notice it doesn't say he just like acts like a cow and just walks away. Like he starts acting like this, and people freaked out about it and drove him out of the out of the kingdom, and so he starts to live among the animals. Most people believe that he probably lived amongst the cattle because. If he lived amongst, like, tigers and things like that nature, he probably wasn't around in seven years. Um, He would become a meal and not one of their kindred. Um, So it's believed that he probably lived amongst the cattle, eating grass and and other vegetables. The Aramaic word for grass can also mean herbs and vegetables and things of that nature. So it was mainly a plant-based diet. And he stayed outside. He lived outside for seven years. And it was at the end of that seven years that one of two things happened. He either still had some of his mental capabilities or his mental capabilities were cleared supernaturally, one of the two. And he looks to the heavens and basically says, you know, what have I done? God, you are in complete control. And it was at that moment that God, at this point, supernaturally restores his faculties. And he becomes... I mean, I always hesitate to use the word normal, but can we all agree at this point that's normal, right? Um, He's no longer acting like a cow. I think we can all agree that that's more in the realm of normalcy. Um, But he begins to act as he did before. And at this point, God sends his attendants out to receive him. And he's restored to his throne. And so this kind of brings us to you know, to mini lesson number three, if you will. And that is, this is proof right here that the plan for God was always the whole world. Always. It was never, I'm just going to worry about the Jewish people, and then at some point I'm going to go, hey, you know what, let's let everybody come for the ride. No, he always had the plan to bring the entire world under his dominion and under his control. Because he takes and decides to humble one of the most powerful men on earth. Not to make life better for Daniel. Not to make life better for his friends. But so that his power can be shown. And he can bring another person into his fold. Because it ends, the chapter actually ends with another doxology. It says, And then at the very end, it says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So God uses this powerful man to be basically to use his testimony to say, look what God has done for me. I was puffed up. I was proud. I believed that I had created my own kingdom and God set me in my place. And so, as we're kind of, I told myself that I wasn't going to bring up our world today, but I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to break my own rule. As we kind of navigate this weird time where we've got states that are saying that, um, you know, and I realize Trump kind of stepped in but, and, and stopped this, but we had states that were saying that restaurants could open at, you know, 50%, and you couldn't have more than 10 people in a church. And so you've got a society that is starting to speak out against churches. People who did not grow up or have an affinity for the word of God are starting to reach positions of power and speak out against the meeting of churches and the meaning of congregations. I, I think that we are blessed to live in a state that we do. That was never really a problem for us, but you're starting to see the beginnings of that. And so... We can take solace in the fact that even though things get difficult, we serve a God who wants to bring everyone under His dominion, will humble the proud, and will at one day rule at the end of time. And so we can we can take solace in that. We can take um, we can find joy in the fact that that we can serve a God who is good and just, and we can faithfully serve him in times of, uh, I won't say crisis, but times of, of where things are increasingly difficult for us. And and I realize that our time is nowhere near as turbulent as the, as the time Daniel lived in, but it's, it could go that way. We know at the end of time it will. And so we can take Daniel 4 and we can look at how Daniel lived in the earlier chapters and say, okay, We can live Christ-centered lives while still living among society. We don't have to go live in a cave somewhere. We don't have to become hermits. We don't have to shun the population around us. We can still love people right where they are. We can still go into society and be an example to people right where they are. And we have Daniel as an example for that. We can, you know, the, the, the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not just the Christian neighbor. You know, we can all agree that that's everyone. Those are, that's all people around us. And we have proof in the Old Testament that it is possible to love and live around those that are not Christians or are not, do not have a belief in God and still navigate that without being, without compromising our beliefs. We can still comprom- do that without compromising who we are as Christians. So that's kind of my takeaway for you guys this week is how can we navigate this world that we live in today while still maintaining our integrity as Christians and still being able to reach those that are around us. So um that was really loud sorry. So uh, I I have this thing where I start a sentence and I'll just like burst it out and I forget there's a microphone there. Um so we're going to pray. Um the worship team is going to sing one more song and I just want to remind you guys that even though we're not necessarily meeting, I got to say, it's really nice to be able to look at people and not at a camera the entire time. Um, that was weird. Um, the last time I preached, I, it was, I don't know, it was odd. Um, so it's, it's nice to be able to look out and see people and not have to stare at a, at a lens. Um, but remember that we, your church family, just because things are different, just because the doors aren't completely open you know, where we're having services the way we had been, your church family is still here. Um, I know that there's a, there's a a text group going on between the ladies in our church for prayer requests and things of that nature. Um, Your church family is still around um, and, and we would love to walk with you. So if there's anything we can do to pray for you guys, if there's anything we can do to walk with you in this life, um, however, you know, however we can, please don't hesitate to let us know that. Um, call us, email us. Um, you know, we, we would love to walk with you as a church, even if it's, you know, in this kind of weird time. Um, the people of the church haven't gone anywhere. Um, we're all still here and I know we're all still kind of, we're all itching to get back to living life together. So if you, uh, you know, if you, if you need anything, if you, if you need prayer, if you need to talk or anything like that, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, so let's pray and then we will, uh, we'll close out the service. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you give us an example like Daniel, an example of a man who is uncompromising in his belief, uncompromising in his attitude, uncompromising in his life, and still able to navigate a, a, a crisis, a crazy world around him. We ask that we we ask that you give us discernment on this chapter and the previous chapters that Kindle has brought us, that we might be able to see how to live that life, so that we can be a beacon to those around us, so that we can walk into the world around us and show Christ's love. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that you will do. We're excited to to have people back in the building, and we know that you're excited for us to gather again and worship you. We thank you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Who am I? Like the highest King would welcome me. I was lost, but He brought me in. Oh, His love for me! Oh, His love.
0: Let's talk a lot. Oh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> um, before we, um, we break, let's, uh, let's give a round of applause for the praise team. We are always thankful for the music they bring. Um, thank you guys for joining us, uh, both in the building, online, on KPET. We seem to be reaching you guys a lot more ways <laughs> these days, and it's fun. Um, it's a lot of fun to be able to learn these new technologies and bring this service to you in different ways. We're, we're so thankful you were here. Um, we're so thankful you could join us and we're really excited to get more people back in the building. Uh, remember we're doing our soft opening next week and then we're, uh, we're throwing open the doors and telling everybody to come on June 7th. So, um, we're excited to get back to a, a sense of normalcy. So, um, have a great week and we'll see y'all next week. God bless.